Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege I have again of bringing the message this morning. I'm just busy turning. If you've got a Bible, please go get it, or if you, you can open it to Romans and then into Luke. So it's, it's always a privilege to be able just to bring the Word of God. And um, I really thank the Lord that the Word we were praying earlier is never chained. It's not chained in any form or any way. It's, it's alive. It's active. It's living. It does an incredible work within us when we take it and embrace it and believe it. And so um, I trust it will happen today. I trust the Word will encourage you. I trust the Word will also challenge you. And I trust the Word will bring the adjustments that God continually brings in our life and through our life. During the week, I was listening to a, uh, a preach by a man called Paris Heat. Reed Head, and uh, he preached a sermon called Ten Shekels in a Shirt that a number of people had told me about, and uh, I'd listened to it, and it's a profound, profound sermon. It was about in the, I think in the 60s or the 70s, and anyway, I was listening, wasn't to that one I was listening, I was listening to something else, and at the end of his preach, he told a story, and I want to start with the story. He told a story about a a man that was uh, an Englishman that was the youngest son of uh, a couple that um, were fairly well off, but they had no money at the time. And so he didn't find any opportunity for a job or whatever. So he decided to come to America and he traveled to America and he ended up in California near Sacramento at the time that gold was discovered there. And so this young man put a claim in uh, for a piece of ground and he started to mine this claim and uh, he struck it rich in a sense the, main, the, the, the ground that he bought was fairly rich in gold and he spent a couple of years mining this and then he decided to sell it and uh, he made quite a bit of money by selling it in those days and then he thought it's time for him to go back home to England and he decided to go the southern route back to England and so he went down to Louisiana uh, to um, he was going to catch a boat there and then catch a boat up to New York and then from New York go back to England and when he was in uh, Louisiana I can't remember the city now uh, what is the main city in Louisiana uh, New, New Orleans thank you New Orleans he was walking around New Orleans one morning and he heard a lot happening so he went to see what it was and he saw that it was a slave market unfortunately and so he saw how these people were brought up on the block men and women and they were sold and um, as he watched the process he said he had never seen anything like this and as he watched it he something rose up inside him and uh, they had sold some men and then they brought the woman on and there's one particular woman that they brought up she happened to be an attractive young lady and um, they started to bid for her. And there was a man in the crowd, apparently it was known, to be able to buy these type of women. And so he started to bid this other man. And the young man from England watched this process. And then he said, no, this cannot happen. And he started to bid for this lady. But the man that had previously bid for her was a well-known man in that area. Nobody went against him in any form or any shape. 
But this young man from England just kept outbidding him, and eventually he got to the place where he said, it's time to finish this, and he doubled the bid, completely doubled it. And everybody was aghast because nobody had ever paid so much money for a person before. It was the highest price that had ever been paid. And so they gave this lady to him, and when he went forward to collect her, and she was up on a scaffold, and as she came down, she was on a step, and he was waiting for her to come down, and she had a rope around or a chain around her, her neck, and somebody was leading her, and they handed the, the, whatever it is, the rope to this, this particular young gentleman. And as they did that, this lady had developed some saliva in her mouth. And he said her face was contorted with anger and rage. And as he took hold of the rope, she spat at him, all the saliva. And she just said, I hate you. And he just gently took the rope and took the back of his hand and wiped the saliva away from his face. And then he led her through some streets. He made some inquiries and eventually found the place he was looking for. And he went up a flight of stairs to the first floor. And he met some people there. And he started to speak to them. And they didn't want to do what he wanted to do. But eventually they consented. And the papers were signed. And he had pay money for that as well. And he took the signed piece of paper. And he gave it to this lady. And he said... You are free. You are free. And she couldn't believe it. She said, you paid such a big price for me. That cannot be true. And he said, it's true. You are free. She said, you paid that price just to set my free my freedom. He said, that's correct, you are free. And it took a while for her to grasp the magnitude of what happened. And then she fell at his feet and he had his old minor boots on and she hugged the boots and she started to weep and weep and weep. And she said, sir, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But the price that you paid for me is the highest price I've ever paid and you just paid to set me free. And he said, that's correct. And she said, I would like to be your servant for the rest of your life. And he said to her, no, no. He gave her more money and he said, you can travel north where you can go live in freedom. And when I heard that story, it just impacted me because of the price that he has paid for us to be free, to be totally free. He didn't pay money. He paid with his life to set us free from sin, the power of sin and the dominion of darkness. He paid the price for our freedom and for our journey while here on earth. He paid the price completely. Completely. We are free in Jesus Christ. And just as that lady would needed to live and walk in that freedom and become responsible for her life, so are we called to live and walk in this freedom and be responsible for our life as Christ has set us free. The New Testament speaks of salvation in a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And I don't have time to go into that this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 puts it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So it's the journey from first to last. It's a relationship by faith from first to last. And it reminds me of something I wrote down here. Love gives birth to faith, and faith strengthens love. Galatians 5, 6 puts it this way. Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's what that woman experienced. And I know the day I got saved, that's something that began to explode in me. The love that I had for Jesus Christ. I'm eternally grateful for that day. He set me free. He set me free. I didn't understand it all. And I've tried to walk a road to understand it. And it's interesting, the price is paid completely for our freedom that we might in turn go tell others about this wonderful, wonderful good news. But as I walked with my Christian walk, you get to understand something of what happened at the cross. You get to understand who Jesus Christ is. It's like you grow in the understanding of it. And as you grow in the understanding of it, that which you are free indeed it becomes a greater reality in your life as you walk it day by day. It's a greater reality that begins to unfold and explode in you. Jesus put it this way, Come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. The unfolding eternal purpose of God is to bring to himself a people that should be for his joy and praise and to let others know that's wonderful good news. It is wonderful good news. It really is. And I found the process of us walking in that freedom or walking into that freedom that actually has already been paid. So we are free, but we're learning to walk in that freedom. The day I got saved, the desire for gambling just disappeared that very same day. From that day to this day, I've never had a desire to gamble like I was that had taken hold of my life. He set me completely free. But there's other things in my life he's busy setting me free from, although the price is already paid. It's past tense. It's done. But I'm learning to appropriate it as I walk my life out on this earth. And I find that we need continually insight, continual revelation, continual understanding. And we need to receive this from our great Lord in Jesus Christ. We need to receive ongoingly the understanding of the price that was fully paid, that we're completely free. And as I received that, and I allowed that to implement or get into my life, and I allowed that to marinate within me, and I allowed that to establish some truth in me, I find that I then walk in a greater degree of freedom that has already been won for me. But it's a process. It takes time sometimes. And so we need to take time to allow things that God has won for us to continually be established in us. And sometimes you know something, but you don't have words for it. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you're aware of something, but you just can't explain it because it's so real in you because God is still busy establishing it in your life. And that is far better 
than having to say something that is not true inside you yet and just ticking off the box. And I found an atmosphere of thanksgiving is very key for this process to happen. Gratitude is key. Continual lifestyle of gratitude, of being aware of the price that he had paid to set me free, to set us free. It's an incredible, credible good news to set us free from the dominion of darkness. And then I also found that I needed to slowly become responsible for my actions. And as I did that and didn't blame anybody else, I learned to appropriate the truth. I took responsibility for my reactions or my actions. So this morning, what I actually want to speak on is the necessity of receiving as a lifestyle or the necessary ingredients to receive to walk into all that he has won for us that is purchased for us. So it's that those three tenses, I'm saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved, to walk into that. And there's a piece in the Gospels that we're going to turn to now that I was probably saved about six months to a year, and this piece of Scripture gripped me, absolutely gripped me, and it's been one of the foundations for the keys that I learned out of this little incident that has helped me throughout my Christian walk. And so what I want to do is, if you can turn to Luke, please, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I'll give a little bit of context to the story. And as you're turning to Luke 9 verse 51, I printed out some scriptures on receiving. I'm just going to quickly read them off. Matthew 7, 8. For everyone who asks, receives. Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. John 1, 11 and 12, he, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right of authority to become children of God. John 1, 16, out of the fullness of out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. John 3, 27. Very important scripture. Not that it's more important than others, but just the truth behind this is amazing. To this, John said, that's John the baptizer, a person can receive only what is given to him from heaven. A person can receive only what has been given to him from heaven. John 7:39. By this he meant the Spirit to those who believed in him would later receive. John 20, 22, And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Romans 3, 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Romans 5.17, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? 1 Corinthians 4.7, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? Galatians 4.5, To redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. Colossians 2.6, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. So if we received Him as Lord, we're going to continue to receive to be able to live in Him. 
1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16. Two more. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace. Hebrews 6.15, and so after waiting patiently, Abram received what he had promised. So those are some scriptures just to show you the importance of receiving. Everything we have, we've received from above. Freely given, freely given. God is very, very gracious. So let's go to this portion of scripture. Luke 9.51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So we can see from this scripture that it's right towards the end of the ministry of Jesus. He knows he's got to go to Jerusalem and he resolutely, there's the decision he makes within him that he sets out towards Jerusalem. The Living Bible puts it this way. He moves steadily towards Jerusalem with an iron will. That isn't, isn't that amazing scripture? There was a resolution he knew he had to take in order to go to Jerusalem. And he knew why he was going there. Let's go to Luke 13, 22. It says this. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he's made his way to Jerusalem. Because the father had told his son, you need to go to Jerusalem. That's time. But he didn't take him directly. He took him it's like it was a meander on the way through to Jerusalem. And as he was going... The scripture tells us he went through towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Luke 13, 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. I love the reply. He replied, go tell that fox. <laughs> I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So we can see from these scriptures, Jesus had set his course towards Jerusalem. Now let's go to Luke 18. So he's still on his way to Jerusalem. That's just giving you a context of what's happening. In Luke 18 verse 31, it says this, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. We're going to continue now. Isn't it amazing that sometimes the Lord can reveal stuff to us or we can hear something or we can read scripture, but it's like <coughs> we read it, but there's something that's hidden. And then a year later, you read it again and all of a sudden it jumps out of you. That's the process of insight and revelation that God is bringing to you for that season, for that time. <coughs> then verse 35. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. 
They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Huh. And yet he had set his course to Jerusalem. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And all the people saw it. They praised God. This little incident on Blightbart of Maes, Michelle knows, early on, something gripped me about it when I heard about it. And I've often gone back to it. And in me, for me, in here, the ingredients that are given to position ourselves to receive ongoingly in our life. I'm not saying they're the only ones, so I want to share some of those. Firstly, verse 35, it says, Jesus approached Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the wayside. This man was blind. He knew he was blind. He knew he needed help. And we need to be people that know Christ has won everything on our behalf, but we don't understand it all, we haven't grasped it all, or we're not living it out completely. And so there needs to be an honesty and integrity within us and say, God, I need help in this area. God, I need help in this area. Whatever it may be, whatever it is to do with, we have to acknowledge God, I'm looking to you. Just like this man knew he was blind. He didn't try and hide it. He didn't put some religious stuff over it. There was a reality of knowing where he was. And I find, unfortunately, in the church, we can be very religious. We can say the right things. We can even declare I'm free, but we know we're not free in some areas. And then it stops us being honest with ourselves and honest with God and saying, God, I need you to break it open in me in that area. And so we have to come to like what I call the end of ourselves. And that, what that facilitates in us is a hunger and a desire. It develops something inside you. It says, God, I know you can set me free completely because you've paid the price. And so that's what begins to happen inside you. Bill Johnson puts it this way. I just heard this quote from him many years ago. Remain a novice. Remain a novice. And that's what it is. God, I love what you've done. I really thank you for setting me free in that area. I know you the Lord. But Lord, I want to press into you for the understanding the fullness of everything you did at Calvary. Number two. Let's go to read verse 36 to 38 says this, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So let's look what happened here. For three years, three, three and a half years, this man had been sitting there begging. For three, three and a half years, this man had heard stories about another man called Jesus from Nazareth. He had heard about how Jesus had cured the leper. 
You had heard about how Jesus had healed the sick. You had heard about the stories of people that were demon-bound and how they had been set free. You had heard about some other blind men getting their sight back. You had heard about the lame walking. You had heard about the paralytic that stood up and walked. You had heard about how the storm was calmed. You had heard about the authority that comes out of this man. You had heard about the food that had been multiplied. You had heard about the dead had been raised. For three, three and a half years, that's what he had heard. And so inside of him, something began to shift. Something began to take place inside of him. Something began to say something like this. If only I could meet this man, Jesus Christ. If only I could meet him. If only I could touch him, whatever it may. If only I could do that, because I've heard all these stories. And it began to produce something within him. It began to produce an expectation. It began to produce desire. It began to produce a deep hunger to be able to meet Jesus Christ. And when I read this the first time many, many years ago, something inside me, all of a sudden, yes, I need to continually feed myself with stories of what God did through ordinary men and women. Ordinary men and women. And so that's what I began to do early on in my Christian walk. I hadn't even read the Bible through completely. And I remember I got a book by, about a woman called Catherine Kuma. I think it was called Daughter of Destiny. It was maybe six months, seven months old as a Christian. And as I read that book, I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed what God did through this woman who was a very ordinary woman, very ordinary woman. And then I started to read, as many as you know, about a man that couldn't read or write for most of his life, a man called Smith Wigglesworth. And what God did through this man, a very ordinary man. And something began to shift within me. And something, a desire began to develop in me. And so as I read the Word, I started to read those books. And I was more and more astonished at what God had done through men and women throughout church history. And oh my, how I created a hunger and a desire in me. I just created something in me that at times there was such an intensity in me that I made some decisions that were not wise, but it came out of that intensity in me. God, if people could truly see who Jesus really is, really is, not watered down, not really is his authority, his power, his dominion, his love, his grace. And the only way they're going to see that is through the church. Because that's God's the way God. The only way they're going to see that is through men like you and I that have come to know Jesus Christ, but have a longing for the reality of his name to be known to others through our life and through what he does. And so this created a great expectation in me. And I used to tell people about it. I remember I used to tell Michelle, I used to tell my kids about these stories. We used to read these stories. And as Clayton, you well know, Clayton's heard you tell some of that stuff. And that's what began to happen in me. That's what slowly began to happen in me. And then like this man in verse 38, it says, He called out Jesus, son of David. Because for three and a half years he had heard this. This had welled up in me. A crowd goes by. He cannot see. He's blind. And it's interesting enough, he was blind, but he recognized who Jesus was. Those who had eyes didn't. It's unbelievable. 
And he says, what's going on here? And this crowd is going, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's Jesus of Nazareth walking by. And I ask you, what would you do? <laughs> what would you do if you were this man? And that's what this man did. He started to shout in a loud voice, Jesus, son of David. It wasn't, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. No, 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 it wasn't that. It was he shouted in a loud voice. And then you can see the next thing is opposition came. They told him to be quiet. And as you press into God, and as you press into all that he has for you, opposition will come. It will come. Opposition will come from within you. Opposition will come from people. Not meaning they don't mean they don't mean harm. Opposition will come from the world. And you gotta have determination or just durability or perseverance or steadfastness and say, God, let me push through this opposition. Let me push through this opposition. Because that's what this man did. That's what this man did. As opposition came, he responded even more. And he cried out even louder. The Bible says, loudly. He shouted all the more. All the more. And I don't want to shout yeah, in case the building's shut. No, I'm teasing. But he shouted, Jesus, son of David. But he shouted. There's a lot of people, a lot happening. A lot of people moving and shuffling. And he shouted all the more. And verse 40, the Bible says, Jesus stopped. He stopped. He was on his way, resolutely set towards Jerusalem. Other people tried to stop him. Herod, he stopped at this man's request. He stopped. And then he asked a question. What can I do for you? It doesn't seem like the right question because the man's blind. But he asked a question. What can I do for you? And the man said, I want to see. And Jesus said, you've received your sight. But when Jesus stopped and called him, this incident in the book of Mark, doesn't put it in the incident in Luke as Luke described it. The Bible said he took his cloak off and he laid it aside. That's what the Bible said. And that cloak represented to him his meal ticket. It represented warmth in the winter. It represented security in his life. It represented a lot to him. And he took that when the Lord called him and he laid it aside. And I found in my life, in my walk with the Lord, that often when God wants to bring you into more, reveal more to you, bring understanding, he asks you to let something go. He asks you to lay something down. He asks you to surrender. That's all it is, surrender. Because the life to follow Jesus is an ongoing life of surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Surrender to my own opinions. Surrender to my own desires. Surrender to my own thoughts. But to surrender to him. And that's what this man do. He threw it aside and he came to Jesus. And Jesus granted him his request. So I want to ask you a question. If Jesus, and you've heard me ask this to many people before, Jesus walked into your house today, he came into your living room or your kitchen, wherever you are, and he said to you, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? I trust that we will not 
tell him to wait. I trust we will not tell him to come back tomorrow. I trust we will not tell him or somebody else first. I trust there's something inside of you that you've been longing for. Something inside of you that's created hope. Something inside of you that there's a hunger. Something inside of you that you've been seeking God for. And I trust like this man, he just started to shout, it'll come out of your mouth. You won't even think about it. It's just something that will pop out of you. Because that means we are positioning ourselves to receive. We are positioning ourselves to receive ongoingly what God has for us. Because I feel God has a lot coming into this new season, whatever it may be. And I pray that as things begin to unlock and as we get, in a sense, life back to normal, but it won't be normal, but you understand what I'm saying, that we don't lose what God has placed within us in this season. We don't lose the fact that in this season we've had opportunity to call out to Him, to get into His Word. We don't lose the fact that maybe we've started to read some books of great men and women of God of the past. We don't lose this. And we just get on with life as normal, and then we lose this. I'm trusting this will not happen. I'm trusting that as he comes to you and he will come to you and say, what can I do for you? There's a hunger and a thirst and a desire to receive from him. Not earned, to receive, to receive, to take it, assimilate it in your life, let it meditate inside you, let it begin to adjust your thoughts, your attitudes, who we are in Christ. Because your spirit man is born again. That's not changing. It's your mind. It's your emotions. They need to come in line with the born again spirit within us. And so we need the ongoing revelation. So I pray that we'll continue to position ourselves to receive from the abundant goodness that God has for us. The, the coming out of the storerooms of heaven. All that he has for us. And his storeroom is unlimited of what he wants to give us and deposit in our lives. Not so that we can keep it, but so that it can bring what it needs to bring so we can hold out life to others that they can in turn meet this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ.